Hey guys, I'm Stephanie Wallace and this is Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care System. Independence Radio is a series of conversations with members of the ICS community about issues of health care and independent living for people with disabilities and older adults. My guest today is ICS Director of Behavioral Health, Rosemary Salopec. I spoke with her about what behavioral health is and how it can affect physical health, especially for people with disabilities. Enjoy this conversation. Please tell me what the Director of Behavioral Health does. Um, Here at ICS, I'm involved with the Complex Care Management Team. Um, It's a team of uh, various professionals, uh, nurses, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, social workers, who are working to collaborate with teams on members with the most complex issues, uh, medical, social, um, psychosocial, uh, psychiatric, substance abuse, the full range of issues that make the lives of our members complex. Now, I feel this has been known to be uh, catered to people with physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. How does the behavioral health factor in? Well, people are complex, and we, we're not just one thing. Um, medical issues don't define a person. Uh, people's histories, people's families, their experiences in life all shape how, um, how we function in the world. You know, where we are now is a reflection of all that came before then. Um, and behavioral health is a big part of a person, and not just a medical diagnosis or whatever medical issues are happening. And what's the difference between behavioral health and mental illness? Well, mental illness is a disease state, and behavioral health uh, is used more nowadays because it's, it's, it represents a combination of mental health issues, substance abuse issues, uh, psychosocial issues, environmental issues, all of the things that uh, comprise what makes up a person's experience in the world, and that could include mental illness, substance abuse, use issues, things like that. And how how does someone's behavioral health impact, or can it impact, their physical health? It can have a a tremendous impact on someone's physical health, um, how they cope with the illness, how they cope with the treatments that are recommended, with the treatment regimens that are recommended, medications, things like that. Um, And when you say behavioral health, I think of things like depression, anxiety, trauma, complex living situations. Um, and all of those things impact how a person copes with whatever, they ha- whatever they're presented with. For example, depression can have a very negative impact on how a person manages uh, medical issues and life issues. Um, typical symptoms of depression are uh, sadness and loss of interest in doing things, but it can be fatigue, it can be overeating, undereating, oversleeping, undersleeping. And the impact of that on how we function in life can be, can be significant. If you're not rested, if you're not eating well, the likelihood that you're going to take your medications as the doctor, doctor recommended, keep your appointments as recommended, get yourself ready, or be willing for so, to allow someone else to help you get ready um, and to keep those appointments your ability to concentrate as the doctor or the your providers or your caregivers are trying to coordinate with you and coordinate your care with you, if you're unable to concentrate and even hear what the person is saying, um, you're not 
you're not likely to carry through. And so we see lots of negative impacts um, on hospitalizations, ER visits, um, and things like that. As a person with a disability, um, one of the things I find is that we, we it's, it's like, you know, you got to be gung-ho, you got to stay in there, you got to put on this happy face and, you know, go. And it, it doesn't always feel that way. You know, you don't always feel that way. And sometimes to protect the people around you, like I have a family, I have five children, I have four grandchildren. And sometimes to protect the people around me, I put on a happy face. I mean, sometimes this really gets you. You know, it really gets you down. It really, you don't give up. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and I, I notice with myself how it, it, it uh, it's like I go through these waves, like with the doctor. You know, I get I get to a point where I'm very I'm a very good girl. I go to all my appointments. I take my medications. You know, and then on that down curve, I'm like, really can't come today. You know, and sure. and everything. And my family's looking at me like, you know, what's wrong with you? What's going on? You know, and I don't want to alarm anybody. You know, but I'm really feeling like I don't care. So I'm wondering, with people with disabilities, are is there an increase in maybe depression and, and things like that? Do you see it more in Absolutely. People? Absolutely. The prevalence of depression is significantly higher with people who have disabilities and other medical issues. Uh, absolutely. Higher rates of depression, higher rates of suicidality, suicidal ideation, and if you will, successful suicide. What is, I've heard that term before, suicidal ideation. What is that? Um, It can range from passive thoughts where someone can say, I wish I was not here. Not even I wish I was dead, I just wish I wasn't here. Mm -hmm. You know, to I have a plan, I have the means, and I have the intention to carry out a plan. So it can it's the full range of just having passing thoughts of, you know, wishing you weren't having to deal with all of this, wishing you could, for some people, say, be in heaven, be out of here, be someplace else, to actually having an actual plan. So, like, I've, I've experienced, you know, where it's just like, just let me die, leave me alone. Is that ideation? Is that suicidal ideation? It can be, yes. What? Well, I never had any intentions to, you know, do anything, you know, or anything like that. So why is that considered ideation? Well, it's it's worthy of exploration. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have these thoughts mm-hmm. after any any kind of situation. After someone dies in your life, someone a breakup, a, a new medical diagnosis, or a progression of some medical issue. A lot of people have thoughts like that. As a professional, as a social worker, I've always wanted to know how serious is that person? How serious are you? Are you just having a really rotten day? And for some people, it feels good to say that. Mm -hmm. It just feels like a release. And for other people, it's the beginning of a process where they're actually thinking, what could I do? Do I have the means to do something? Or how can I do this? Or, you know, they... They start to develop the thought into an action or a plan, and that's where we're concerned. So 
it's worthy of, of asking those questions. You asked me earlier, uh, what, else, what does the behavioral health director do? The other th major thing I do here is I, I, um, I'm running a depression project for IPRO. Um, and it's a quality program where we're trying to <clears throat> assess members who report symptoms of depression and explore how they are experiencing this depression. How is it impacting their health and their life? And what could we do? What are all the ways we could do? We could help the member engage in treatment, or create a plan to to make things better for themselves. You mentioned something about IPRO. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what that is exactly? Sure. IPRO stands for Island Pacific Review Organization, and it's an organization that works with managed care companies uh, to create quality programs, quality improvement programs. And so what we did here at ICS, I created a program where once a member is identified as having feelings of depression, and it could be uh, very minimal feelings or daily experience of depression, um, we have the nurses asking questions about contributing factors, alleviating factors, um, any information that they could glean from the member to better understand what their needs are, what their experience is. And then when the care manager uh, goes on to meet with the member, they do an initial depression assessment where they're asking, uh, are they st are, is the person still having uh, symptoms of depression? What might be contributing? What has helped in the past? How severe has it gotten? Does the person have any thoughts of self-harm or harm to others? And if they don't have those feelings now, have they had that in the past? So that we have a better understanding of how bad does this get for the person? How bad has it gotten? And what have they done in the past? Had they gone to treatment? Had they not? Are they open to it? Are they open to other things, social connections, religious connections, whatever could support that person to work on alleviating those symptoms of depression. And so the overall goal for us here is to work on decreasing the prevalence of depression across our membership. And it's a two-year project. It started last year, and it runs through the end of this year. And we hope that if it's successful, we'd like to continue doing that, because I think it's a really important important area of focus. You know, I keep going back. I can only use myself. Sure. Um, when I felt that way, I didn't speak to anybody about it because I don't want to alarm anybody. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you recognize somebody who's going through something like that or I mean, how do you reach them? How do you recognize them? How do you like with me? I mean, I really would have benefited from talking to somebody. You know, but I don't I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to alarm anybody. I didn't want to. I didn't feel like I was going to hurt myself or anything like that. But I just felt like it was something I was going through. I knew I felt like I, I'll get over it soon enough, you know. But it was just really a down, you know, swerve that I really wasn't used to. Mm -hmm. So it was surprising to you as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's the tricky thing about depression. Um, one of the main symptoms is losing interest in the things you used to like. So if you're a person who used to like to talk to your family, your friends, or your whatever, your social circle, all of a sudden you withdraw, that's one of the symptoms of depression. And it, it, it complicates things because um, if you're busy doing something, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and that's where things could get a little dangerous. It sounds like you had enough insight to say, 
to think this soon will pass or this will pass eventually. But for someone else, it, it can be um, complicated. And so what I would say is that caregivers, family can notice changes. If a person is typically social or typically pleasant or easygoing and all of a sudden the person is more irritable, impatient or not likely or not interested in doing the things they like to do, not use not wanting to eat the things they like to eat, things like that. Um, noticing changes and asking open-ended questions. A lot of the, I, I've um, run depression programs for like the last 18 years and it's, it's a subject I'm very passionate about. And so much gets missed because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Right. Um, you don't want to get into anybody's business. Right, you don't want to cross the like line and yet, if you don't, you miss the opportunity mm -hmm. to explore something. And there's still so much stigma about depression. There's still so many bad feelings that we all carry. I'm a social worker, and you know, there's social workers I know who are like, "No, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I don't need to go." And you need to go sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, and but that's something we have to battle and fight. Uh, this feeling that someone's going to criticize us, or the feeling that you're going to burden somebody mm -hmm. with some more information. And and that's a real challenge, um, or, or or not really knowing what is the matter with you, right. and somebody you know. So because people people want to condense it down. So okay, so what's the matter? You know, and right. you can't really verbalize right. what the matter is. Right. You know, and it seems like um, maybe you're just making the problem bigger. You you know, like you start talking and you're talking about feeling bad but you don't know what's making you feel bad you don't know and it becomes like okay so what do you want me you, you know right. it's almost like you're giving a, the person that you're talking to a problem right you something know. to fix right and so many people are fixers because you want mm -hmm. you want you want you want to close the loop mm -hmm. you have this problem this is what we should do these are the few things we could do what do you want to do mm -hmm. and if you don't know yet if you're just beginning to feel these feelings i'm sure you want to avoid those feelings. Mm -hmm. Who wants to feel those feelings? So you're trying to cope. You're trying to cope, and then you realize this is this is this is heavier than so, I thought. So, so how does someone who is experiencing uh, these type of feelings? What 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 do you recommend for them? How do, how do they reach out? How do they begin to get help? What I I like to encourage all the people I've ever worked with is to say what's on their mind, um, even if they think it's going to be a difficult conversation to reassure them that people do want to hear, even though people are busy, providers are busy, um, that it's really important for their own health, um, physical health, mental health, well-being, to say and to honor that feeling. It's a very serious, it's a very serious condition that could impact a lot of things um, and encourage people to fight that stigma of feeling bad or feeling criticized and to, and it's a way of fighting for them. Hopefully, uh, hopefully um, people have trusted people in their life, their providers, um, some connection. Um, sometimes telling a stranger might yeah. be easier than telling someone you know because there's not the feeling of judgment or right. I don't rely right. on you. You're not going to you know, criticize me it's or unbiased. feel like, oh, one more thing. you know. And, and so that that is actually a really great source of support sometimes talking to a stranger mm -hmm. um, there's a toll-free number people can call in New York City well where you can talk to a peer about how you're feeling and it used to be you know the suicide hotline and the services 
that the peers can provide or anything from, I just need to talk to someone. I just need to release these feelings and someone to really listen. Because in our fast culture, people ask you, how are you doing? And the expected answer is, good, good. Right, right, okay, right, sure. right. They're right. not really sitting going, tell me. Really, no, tell me. You know. Right. And, and, and so it's, it's challenging in this fast-paced world for people to stop and just really listen. You know, mm-hmm. just resuming. And um, so that's a really key thing, to stop and listen to what someone is going to tell you. Um, I, I'd like to provide um, that number, that, uh, you know, the number later on at the end of the uh, broadcast. But one of the things I was thinking about on, our, on my way here was, it was that people in general, we just need to talk to people. You know, you need to talk to we are other people. people. Yeah. You know, and so at what point do you call it mental illness? We just need to talk to people. Sometimes you have things on your mind, things in your life that are heavy, and you just need to talk to somebody. You need mm-hmm. to talk it through, you know. My, one of my favorite place, people to talk to is myself in the shower. You know, and I get a you get good answers that way. So much, <laughs> you know, you work through a lot. But what what is it that that makes us so judgmental when it comes to that? As if it's a weakness. We treat it as if it's a weakness. I I think we still are battling with stigma about this. Calling it mental illness mm. puts it e- puts it even at a more intense level of stigma. Mm-hmm. It's normal for everyone to go through periods of sadness, periods of, of transition where, where something happens and life changes drastically, or even life changes slowly and you look back and you think, wow, last year was really different than this year and, and how do I move forward? And these are normal transitions in life. And then when there's something adverse that happens and then you really have to shore up all your skills and try to figure out how to cope, it's a normal part of life, and I think, I think a lot of people try to cope by uh, diminishing that experience mm-hmm. and intellectualizing and just trying to understand the facts and not being in touch with feelings, and that's not something a lot of people are comfortable with. You know, if you say you're sad, you know, it's those words... Um, throw people off and so when I've assessed we're supposed to be happy all the time right exactly that's yeah that's the propaganda yeah and meanwhile we're really complex individuals and sometimes out of the worst times come the biggest creativity Mm -hmm. the biggest shifts and and almost a renaissance in development of ourselves um and how to cope with life and and honoring that is is the way I see um assessing for depression or just simply having a conversation. When I say assessing, I think of myself as a social worker and talking to someone and really trying to figure out, are they struggling? What could be done? What are they willing to do? Versus even having conversation between just regular people, the people in our lives, having space for that is challenging. And I think it's people, more and more people are talking about it. But I think it's, it's, it, that's also a shift in our culture mm-hmm. to be comfortable with feelings. Now, how do you tell the difference between being depressed and being, you know, like sometimes you, 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 you're down, you, you're blue, mm-hmm. you're, you know, whatever. What's the difference between being depressed and like where you might need medication, you know, type thing, and being not happy, you know, right. or, you you know. 
Well, it's, it's a spectrum of experience. Uh, the diagnosis of depression is a persistent, there's persistent feeling of sadness, loss of interest in doing things, um, irritability, fatigue, appetite issues, sleep issues. It's a, it's a combination of issues um, that go into making a diagnosis of depression. It's very normal to feel sad, to feel frustrated, to feel irritable, to not slept the night before and so you can't focus as well or you're not, not so pleasant feeling. Um, those are passing things that happen to everyone. And then when it happens on a more consistent basis, that's when you could see it as more of going through a period of depression. And um, there are adjustment periods where for several months one can expect to feel pretty down. Something has happened. Um, a new diagnosis. You lost someone. You separated from someone. Thing, disappointments in life uh, could make you feel down. I always think it's it's a little bit unnatural if something negative has happened and the person doesn't feel down. That makes me wonder almost even more. But um, so I, you know, you one has to expect that that that's going to happen. Um, and then you asked about medications. There are lots of ways to treat depression. So medications is one. Talk therapy is one, um, is another way, and there are various kinds of talk therapy. There's also other things that people can do to help themselves to support those approaches to therapy, whether it's medication or talk therapy. Things like um, focusing on positive things, creating a plan to sleep better, to eat better, to, to focus on the areas of life that, that um, alleviate the depressive symptoms versus contribute. If you know you have a conflict with someone and every time you talk with that person, it makes you feel that much worse, so making a plan to avoid that as much as possible as a way of taking care of yourself. Um, medications have known to be very effective in treating uh, depression, um, and it's a matter of finding the appropriate medication for that match the symptoms and match other issues and that you would go to a doctor or prescribe a that. Lot, a lot of people are afraid of medication. Mm -hmm. I, I can recall um, when I got my, I got a diagnosis, a skin, a skin cancer diagnosis, and I, I was devastated because all I thought was cancer, chemo, death, you know, because my mom had, you know, had had uh, leukemia, I saw her go through chemotherapy and then she died so that was just a natural progression to me and um, I went around feeling like okay I'm about to die and you know whatever and when I went to seek help um, they talked to me about medication and I had always felt like I, I don't want to take medication because I don't want to have to take a pill to feel normal and um, you know the doctor She's like, okay, you know, I can't force her to take medication, but she was a psychiatrist, so she couldn't see me unless the medication was involved, and blah, 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 and I really liked her, you know, so I agreed to give it a try, and it helped a lot, because it opened up the dark, the, the, the door and let that sliver of light in to where I could start to find my way out of the dark. So, how... How do, um, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with people who are afraid to take that step, you know, and maybe use medication? Oh, I typically like to explore what are the feelings around 
their thoughts about medications. Mm -hmm. What are they worried about? What does it mean to them if someone is on medications? And we try to explore those fears or judgments or whatever. They, the person may not even know. They just know they don't want to take it. You know, that's on the face of it. They mm -hmm. just... They're not, they don't want to hear about it even. And so I try to explore what, what is it about that? What does it mean to them? And you mentioned one of the things I've heard a lot. That means I have to take a pill the rest of my life, and I don't want to depend on that. And then we explore, would they have a similar feeling if it was a diabetic medication or cardiac medication? When I hear that people are struggling with um, the suggestion of taking medications, I really try to explore what are the feelings around it? What are the fears? What are the judgments? What are they worried about? What are they worried family will think? Um, and that usually reveals um, what's really going on. And then you have room to explore, well, what are the options? How important it is, is it to deal with this? How much are these negative feelings impacting your life and, and how you go through every single day? Because it typically affects your morning, noon, and night. And so um, in doing that, I feel like it helps people realize how important it is to take care of their mental health and to respect it and to respect their experience because um, that's what we have. That's what makes us unique. Now, something that I've been hearing more and more and more of is the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. How does bipolar disorder differ from depression? Well, if you break the name down, uh, depression is more focused on sadness, irritation, loss of uh, interest in doing things, where bipolar, the bi, means there are two sides to this uh, kind of depression. There's a side that is uh, associated with the sadness, the hopelessness, the irritation, the sleep issues, the food issues, um, and the other end of that spectrum are typically symptoms of mania or hypomania. Um, and they can be characterized by anything from simply talking very quickly, not sleeping very much, not sleeping for a couple of days, spending enormous amounts of money, even becoming psychotic um, and grandiose, thinking, you know, you're the leader of some sort of organization and you have 10,000 followers. It's just uh, examples of how severe it can get. Do you think it would be beneficial to, because I didn't know that there was a behavioral health uh, component to ICS. I didn't know that. Do you think it would be beneficial to have some type of public forum um, in which members knew that this department was available uh, at ICS and um, to perhaps encourage somebody who didn't know where to where to turn, you know, where to go to, you know, to to give them some type of uh, avenue. Well, that's it. that's one of the areas that I've focused on. I think it's very. I think it would be very important to help people um, know more about what's available. And so, in creating this depression program, as I've gone out to meet with the teams, I've really encouraged the care managers to learn more about the resources in the community, to understand the levels of care that are available to members, to understand. Um, what are the markers? What are the things to look for? And how to talk to members in a more open way um, and really allowing the members to express what, what, what they're going through. Okay. So I've, that's a very important area. So for a member who is listening to this n now and 
they feel that they need to reach out to someone. Should they reach out to their care manager? Yes. Yes, their care manager is the person who would help them navigate um, getting a referral, finding a connection to a social day, to an adult day, to a mental health clinic, um, even to an in-home provider, mm-hmm. if if that's possible. There are very few providers, but there are some providers who will uh, send a social worker to the home to provide in-home psychotherapy, if indicated. Mm-hmm. And and those care managers, I should say, can reach out to me if they need assistance beyond okay. the the standard. Um, array of questions that might be presented, so I'm always available for that as well. Okay, and that 800 number, I don't know if it's 800 number, but the number that you were talking about. The toll-free number to um, New York City Well is 888-692-9355, and it's a confidential hotline where you can speak to a peer you can ask for a referral. You can, if you're having uh, escalated symptoms of depression and you're having thoughts of self-harm, you can speak to someone in, cri- in a crisis um, like that. So that's a 24-hour hotline that, that you have. A, everyone has access okay, to. And it's called New York City Well. Mm-hmm. And could you say the number one more time for us, please? Sure. It is 888-692-9355. Thank you, Rosemary. You're welcome. That was Rosemary Salapet, Director of Behavioral Health at ICS. You have been listening to Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care System, a community-based nonprofit agency serving the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens, and dedicated to supporting older adults and adults with physical disabilities and chronic conditions to live at home and participate fully in community life. To learn more, visit www.ics.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephanie Wallace, founder of The Laid Network. You can learn more about what we do at facebook.com slash love and intimacy for the disabled. Bye.